0: Good morning. Um, thanks to uh, Chaplain Earl for coming back to join us and uh, for Angel, who is, uh, as I've got to visit with him over yesterday and today, she will correct him at times and uh, speak truth as she says it at times. Uh, so it's been fun.
1: And uh, Ashley, excuse me. <laughs> How many husbands do we have here? Raise your hand. So we all know that he's not telling the truth, right? <laughs> I'm just staying on her good side.
0: Um, Earl, if you would, if you will share a little bit about your life and what led you to pursue and ultimately
1: become the chaplain at San Quentin. Well, my life was really um, I I started off I mom and dad you know great household but. I made some decisions early on in my life that I wanted to be something different than what I saw. My dad worked really hard, worked three jobs. And I saw these guys out in the street that were criminals that were making a lot of money and they were staying pretty sharp. And I wanted to be like them, not like my dad. Uh, Early on, first time I got arrested, I was eight. But my life was sort of spiraled that I wanted to be like these criminals. So, 19 years old, I'm in a gang, selling drugs, I have a territory, the whole deal. And a guy owes me some money, he comes to my house, and he brings a guy because he couldn't pay. And he knew that if he couldn't pay, I was going to do something. He brings a guy, I'm watching the World Series, and uh, the guy shoots me six times. Uh, when he shot me, um, they took me to the hospital. The doctor says, you're not going to make it. But my dad was already there. And my dad grabs this doctor while I'm laying on the gurney, and he says, Doctor, you better do what you do best, and I'm going to do what I do best. And he went away to pray. While he was praying, all the fire that I felt from the bullets stopped. I felt the peace, and the Lord said, You're not going to die. I have something for you to do. He said, You're going to be a chaplain in San Quentin. Can you imagine how I laughed at that? <laughs> but you, how many of you have heard God speak to you and you sort of laugh because you thought, He can't really be saying that to me? And that was what I was doing while I was laying on that bed. And the doctor came in, and I said, if I tell you where the bullets are, will it help? And he looked at me, and he said, no. But everywhere I pointed, the bleeding stopped. Three days later, my dad took me home. No one could understand it but that voice that had spoken to me. So what he said was I was going to be a chaplain in San Quentin. That was in 75. In 83, I was hired as the youngest person ever to be a chaplain in the state of California in the history. And it wasn't anything to do with me. It was that voice and that promise from God. That's great.
0: Um, I'll, I'll let you two decide who takes the lead on this one, but um, can you tell us how you met?
2: Okay, so earlier I, I told the story. There's actually two stories on. Um, Remember that? Yeah, his and hers. <laughs> so, um, when I. He had this girlfriend. And um, actually, actually this girlfriend was um, excuse me, my, 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 be- my sister's <laughs> best friend. And so, because he's a little older than me, he would come up to the school to pick up his girlfriend. Um, and his girlfriend had even come to our house a couple of times, but he did tell me, "You know, whenever I would come to pick her up, I, I would see you, and, and I've been watching you." So, I had not met him. I didn't really meet him till like two or three years later, but he knew of me. I knew nothing of him. So.
1: Here's the deal. (laughs) I had this girlfriend and I would pick her up. And how many of you guys have sort of just sat there waiting on someone? So whoever walks by you, look. Oh. So, it was nothing more than a glance. But no, really. What I, but a
2: glance that he remembered to bring it up later. So.
1: <laughs> Tell you what, it was a good glance, too. <laughs> but uh, so I was at home one evening with a friend of mine. We were using drugs, getting high. We leave, it goes into the morning from Saturday to Sunday. And I look at him and I said, We need to go to church. And he looks at me like, You are really tripping now and we didn't know where a church was we didn't know anything about the area we were there for other we were living in a town for one particular reason and going to church wasn't that reason uh we had three places we were living uh he says i said he says okay so we get up he says what church are we going to i said i don't know the first one we see we're just going to stop and go in we drive we take off the we get off the freeway we turn a corner and there's a church i said this is it he's looking at me like You are serious. We go into the church, and as I'm walking in, that same peace I felt a year before when I had gotten shot, I felt it as I walked through the door of that church. And when I walked in, opened the door, she was up singing. And I looked at him, and I said, I'm going to marry that girl. And didn't know her, but God told me I was going to marry her. Now, what I didn't know was she was the pastor's daughter. So, um, I met her. We started going out and I said, uh, I asked her to marry me. She said yes. I said okay. Next day she <laughs> says no. How many of you guys get that yes and no deal? I guess I, I understand it. So then she finally said yes again and we get in my 69 Ford Fairlane. We drive to Reno, we elope and we get married. Uh, We've been married 40 years, July 30th, it'll be 41 years, and it was a good trip. Now about your dad.
2: Yeah, so I, I think that my, my father's still upset about it. and Because what took place after that was I lived at home for about two and a half years longer, and no one knew that I was married. So my dad was taking some care of some braces and dental work and paying for it. So to this day he still, you know, is trying to collect from him. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, we eloped, and no one knew. And the other part of that is, my sister went with me to elope and married her cousin. So my, my father pro- had my two. Cousin. My father had two daughters that were married, and he didn't know.
1: Yeah, now, I'm going to eventually pay them. I'm working on it. I'm saving. But the thing, you know, the thing is that when we eloped, when I went back to college. And the only thing I knew is when I asked her to marry me that God had told me to do it. And there was a lot of things crazy in my life. There was a lot of stuff. I was in Bible college, but there was still a lot of stuff I was going through. But the one thing at that point that was clear to me is I needed to be with her, because she was going to be that anchor that sort of kept me where I needed to be. And it wasn't anything to do with her dad. Her dad was tripping on me because I was in gangs and drugs and all that, and even though I said I was in ministry, you guys, how many of you guys book people on suspicion? I was booked, Yeah, He thought he knew everything I, you know, he thought he knew about me, but the one thing he didn't know is that I did love her, and it was going to work out even if I messed up, it was going to work out because God said it was going to work out. That's great. So so
0: God is making changes in your life. You guys are married, you have children, and I think some of us at some point, you know, you, you come home from work and you have to tell your wife you're going to relocate, and that's going to uproot the family, and that's difficult, so Angel, can you tell us when... Earl came home and said, we're going to relocate to San Quentin prison and live on the prison grounds and raise the family. How was that for you?
2: Well, we got married very young. I Yeah, I can tell you Uh We got married very young. I was 18 years old. And actually, it just ended up being part of the flow of life. I didn't, you know, it was just, we had moved a couple of times, so... Um, I I think the thing that excited me was we were going to be living on uh, prime property uh, in one of the richest counties in the United States, Marin County, um, for $217 a month, uh, including electricity and all utilities, water and everything. In a gated community. In a gated community. So, I was able to work with that pretty good. it was it was that was all right with me, and the largest house that we had lived in thus far. So um, it worked out it worked out pretty good. and uh, I didn't really have any kind of reservations about it. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: So, looking back, what would be one of your favorite memories of raising a family in San. Quentin?
2: Uh, one of my favorite memories, um, I, I would have to say is, My children, uh, we have two boys and two girls, and my children they got a first-hand access to these. Some of these uh, men did uh, ground duty, and so they were out and about. And as you know, that children are very um, children are very honest and open and. A lot of times I would hear, you know, some of the inmates in our yard doing yard work, and I would hear some of the questions that my, my children, who were very, very young, would straightforwardly ask them, and, and then the honest answers that they would receive back. So I think that that, that was a thing that kind of set in their spirits. Um, now, one of the things that I did tell my children was, if you ever find yourself in a position of being detained or incarcerated, I would not be coming to visit you because you're able to see, you know, how this life works. So you are very voluntarily uh, making a decision to, to do something that would get you in this position. So I'm sure that that wouldn't have been true, but.
1: She would have visited him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Earl, well, there's, um... You're, you're at San Quentin, and you're the chaplain, and you're also a chaplain for the Golden State Warriors mm-hmm. and the 49ers and for a little while with the Giants. What steps led you from, or not from, but inclusive of San Quentin to professional athletes? That seems like a, a pretty big gap in uh, people.
1: Well, you know, one of the things I'll tell you is the biggest similarity between guys that are in prison and professional athletes is Dodger fans. <laughs> when you see a Dodger fan, immediately you think of you immediately think of prison. <laughs> I mean, really, I'm out here, I'm sorry, I'm out here, I'm really in the spirit, I'm signing books, I'm like, I got this anointing flowing on me, and I see this guy walking in with a Dodger cap, a Dodger jersey, and he's got a Bible like he's trying to act like he's something that he's not, (laughs) he's got number 23 on the back, I'm like thinking, who is he fooling? And all of a sudden, the anointing left, and I said, a Dodger fan, I gotta watch out. I mean, who wears Dodger gear in the church? But anyway. (laughs) Uh, Where is he? (laughs) Where is he? (laughs) So, no, really the thing I would tell you is, uh, Chris, when we... The ministry in sports is similar to ministry in prison because the largest counties are also the feeder counties for uh, the prison systems of the country. So guys that go to prison, many cases they're great athletes, they just do something different than the guys who leave the county to go to college. And when they go to college, they have a lot of different mentoring and counseling go on, so they make one step in one direction, other guy makes a step in another direction. But the thing that's really that you have to remember with all these guys is the reason, like he has 23 Gonzales? So there's something about every prisoner has a number and every athlete has a number, and you get to remember the number. And sometimes you get so locked up in the number that you forget the person. And in prison ministry, you have to leave and sports, forget the number and look at the person. So that's the is not looking at the number that is always flashing, but look at the person.
0: Um. Angel, it's ministry's hard. Everybody has said that. So at some point in your ministry life, was there that point of, I, I just want to quit and be done with this?
2: Um, I would say that um, in life, uh, in all professions or in, all situa- in so many individual situations, I'm sure that there's times that we all want to quit. Um, Earl was gone a lot and um, so I was with the kids you know, quite a bit, and, um, and then there's uh, people that we've ministered to that um, we thought that, okay, they're gonna be okay, and then they would either go back to prison or relapse, or, and you have to ask yourself the question, is this worth it, you know, it's just, or are we just wasting our time? Um so just in life in many situations, there have been times that um, I've wanted to quit, but it would be just a fleeting moment, and you just you just ask God for direction and and figure out where do we go from here so
0: um, from, from each of you, what advice would you give somebody who feels like they're hearing from God but that? that fear is kicking in to keeping them from taking a first step or a next step, what kind of advice would you give to them?
2: Um, I, would, I would say that, um, like I had mentioned earlier, this is the first time in life that I've ever done this before. Pretty awesome, and, too, huh? And, and so... Um, one of the things that I, I have realized over the years is that God is in control. And um, he kind of contains uh, fear at times. And so we have to learn how to uh, step out of our, our comfort zone. And so if you know that you're hearing from God, what you need to understand is he has it in control. Um, and to go on and step out of that of that. that that place of being uncomfortable, or whatever, and just listen to what God has to say, and and then be able to to move on. Um, this is the third time I heard the "Peace Be Still" song that you all sang, and one one of the things that really touched me about that uh, that song was the waves are only waves, and you're higher than the storm. Um, that really resonated in my spirit. That he is greater than all storms. And so just go ahead and, and trust him and step out of your comfort zone um, and do what he would have you to do because he has it all in control.
1: Amen. You know, and, I, and as I was saying earlier, when I think about it, I think it's good to have that fear. It's good to realize that you're sort of this finite person And you're sort of grounded. you're a human being and you're dealing with an infinite person, an infinite being, and that's God. And in the process of that, he's saying, I want you to do something. You have fear. And he says, okay, that's the space that I'll start with. He says, I'll take that space where your fear is and I'll fill it in and give you my spirit. And in the process of that, because if you think you're ready, you think you have it all together, what part are you going to allow God to do? But if you have some areas where there's some void, where there's some fear, there's trepidation, those are the areas God fills in. And when he fills them in, he gives you marching orders with the filling in. And so sometimes it's just, it's okay to be fearful. It's okay to think, wow, this doesn't feel good, but God, if you're telling me to do it, I'm gonna step in. I tell guys in the prison, guys that are in sports and they have all these different issues, I say, man, just take that step. Just try it, and watch God work. So not trying it is your failure, but just give it a step. God is faithful to his word. Whatever he said, he's going to do, because he's God all by himself. And you trust God no matter what.
0: For, um, for us as onlookers, you've spent a large part of your life working with those who are detained. And we, at times, perceive them as the hopeless. Um, What would you, could you spend a few minutes talking about, for those of us who feel like we're in that spot of hopelessness, what you would do or how you would help us through that. And I know you've kind of talked about that with four Ps surrounding that. So if you could share with us.
2: I like how you adopted our word detained as opposed to incarceration. I've been watching you with that. Good job.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, and it's really, it's really, it's Mm -hmm. awesome because when you're in prison, you're detained and you get there because of some kind of, some form of incarceration. And when you think about it, a lot of us walk around every day dealing with incarceration. We're walking around with things that bind us up and bound us. And we're bound and we're tight, we're shackled. And that's really what incarceration is. And being in prison is just a part of the detainment as a byproduct of some guy's incarceration. For us, we believe that whatever your crime was, whatever you did, we can't change that. We can only speak to who you are as we meet you. And Angel came up with this thing and it simply says this, there is hope for the seemingly hopeless. And the reason we believe that, and I was trying to figure out what we're going to talk about. She says, I got it. And she comes up with these P's, and she says, I got it. Because you know what? There's a lot of us in this room that are wondering about, God, what's going on? How long is this going to go, God? How much longer are we going to endure this and deal with this? And maybe you don't have to raise your hand, but just think. How many of you guys and women would just say, you know what, God, I'm sort of tired. I've been waiting on a breakthrough. I've been waiting on something to happen. And what we came to share with you is there's hope in that wait. There's hope in that situation. There's hope in depending on God and trusting God that he does not fail. He doesn't give up. So we we, we wanted to sort of share this with you. We, We wanted to share... There is hope. And Angel Angel talked to you more about why she said there is and the seemingly because those are really key words for her.
2: Um, a lot of times, uh, the reason why I put seemingly in there is because a lot of times we just feel like there is no hope at all, um, and and the the situation looks so desperate, um, and so it, it is seemingly hopeless. But when we when we realize that. Uh, god is in control and that he will order our steps we have to understand that he is hope so there is hope uh, for the hopeless Um, a lot of times we're struggling with our children we're struggling with addiction we're struggling with all different kinds of of things Um, one of the things about uh, whenever people become detained um, or are locked up in prison or in an institution um a lot of times we forget that it's, it's not just that person that is dealing with this situation. It affects the whole entire family. And so um, a lot of times the family feels hopeless, you know, for their loved ones. So, you know, we just have to continue to pray for our loved ones and seek God's guidance in whatever it is that we're dealing with in that particular situation because there is definitely hope. Um, for that loved one, we we've we've seen it, we've seen it. So,
1: yeah, and the key is, it's not just the person that's behind the bars; it's the family as well. And for us, as Angel was saying, you know, we we talk to families, and they're like, "What do I do?" And we just say, "Keep trusting God. God's going God's gonna." We started a program, and every guy that was in our program that we started was a lifer. They weren't going to get out. We just started saying, trust God. Trust and believe in God. And you're not your crime. You're who you trust in. You're who you believe in. And all those guys got out. They're married. They have homes. They're doing uh, exceptionally well. And it's, and it's all really... Because God did it, not man. And their families are reconnected. So if you're in that situation, then we're going to talk about these four Ps, but I want to say this to you. If you're in that situation where you have a loved one that's detained, perhaps in the process of being detained, remember who the loved one is and don't focus on the crime. Remember who your loved one is and don't focus on the crime. And the same love that you had, continue that love. And trust God in the midst of your trust and your love. Just trust him. So I wanted to tell you that. because Don't give up. Try them. So we have these four Ps we wanted to talk about. And Angel came up with, what, what would we say to someone if we were trying to say there is hope for the seemingly hopeless? And she, she hit it. She says, you have purpose. There's a purpose in all that we do. There's a passion. There's a persistence. And then you need to have Patience. So those are the four things we're going to talk about. The first one comes from Romans 8, uh, 37. When you guys remember where, if you read that, it says, there's all this stuff that goes on in Romans 8. You know, you're sort of bound, you're tied up, you're twisted up. All this stuff happens. Yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. How many of you guys have been through some stuff? How many of you guys may be going through some stuff? Not
0: too many people.
1: <laughs> okay, we're in church, so you guys got to be honest.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, in the midst of that, we would say, that "You have a purpose. What's your purpose?" So,
2: so when we when we talk about purpose in in every in every uh, in every situation and everything that we do in life, um, whether it's being a teacher, whether it's being a doctor or lawyer, we have to find out, why are we doing what, what it is that we're doing? Um, what is the purpose? And uh, our purpose as we deal with uh, these people who have been in trouble um, is to let them know that there is hope and let them know that they can change their life and let them know that there is peace in the midst of storms. And we try to build a new foundation for them so that they can uh, get established, get their feet on the ground, and understand that the life that they were living, you know, it, it's just, it, it was just chaotic for them. So uh, our purpose is just to bring hope to them and let them, let them experience um, the, the sense of hope.
1: You know, we found this quote that says simply this, let not the opinion of man interfere with the direction given to you by God. And That's what we say there's hope in the direction he's given you. So our purpose is wherever we go to just say that, there is hope. That's our purpose in whatever we do, whether it's dealing with athletes that have issues, uh, looks like they're not going to be able to get through, God is able to get you through and in every situation, he's so, he's so awesome. So first thing we have to do and you have to do is have a purpose for what you're doing. Next thing is a passion.
2: Uh, passion is one of the things that kind of keeps you moving because it, passion comes from the heart. And so there's a lot of times, we've had people that um, have actually worked with us and worked, uh, worked with us and worked for us that um, initially start off, very passionate about what they were doing, and it became very obvious when the, whenever they lost the passion for it, because then all kinds of chaos started happening um, in our circle. Um, it, it's a uh, dealing with what we deal with. It can be very emotional. Um, it, it can be just very troubling, and um, the passion is what keeps you going. You, um, you have to have a real heart for it, and you just love on people. You just really, really love on people, and um, it, it's, it's something that is, even when things are going so wrong, you have to look at your passion and say, why am I doing this, and continue on.
1: And you know, we picked the Colossians 3:23 as we talk about passion. It says, "Whatever you do, do it unto the Lord and not unto man." And I would say our passion, as well as look at what you're passionate about, uh, Are you doing it for man's significance for man to say something to you, or you doing it because of something deep down inside that's driving you? Whatever it may be, what is that driver? And, how passionate are you about doing it? Are you accomplishing that goal? For us, we couldn't do what we do. I mean, I'm not really a basketball fan. She loves the Warriors. She's a, I love the Warriors because that's our team. And, we, and I'm sorry. Thank you guys so much for bringing LeBron to the Lakers. For a day, you guys were like excited. We got it. The next day, we get to Marcus Cousins. Scott is so good. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? It was just like, got you Lakers again. Uh, But no, a passion. You think about some of the guys and some of the things that they keep driving through. You think about guys who are not drafted, guys who have question mark after question mark. They have pitfall after pitfall, and they keep going. Or you think about some of your coworkers and you think about their story, and you say, why are you still doing this? Why are you here? What's going on? And they try to tell you, they they try to explain, it's something inside. Mm -hmm. It's something inside, I can't really explain it, but it's it's one of those, I gotta do it. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I can't help but do it. And that's really what your passion, that's passion. You're not doing it for anyone other than the fact that you're driven by God to do something significant. So that's passion. Next one is persistence. And sometimes, I'm not going to ask you guys, because you guys already blew it on raising your hands. But there are times in life when you start to wonder, is it worth it? There's times in life when you start to wonder why. It seems like all you're getting is feedback that's negative, but yet you still feel like God is instructing you to do this and persistence is really what it's about. Persist I mean, when I said the warrior, here's the deal. I love talking to guys and ministering to men. Prison, sports, I love it. So I can go to a warrior game, do the chapel and go home. And not and watch the game when I get home with her. So I live an hour and 50, about an hour and ten minutes from the stadium. I'll drive there, do chapel and just go right back home. It's not the play it's not the game. My passion and, and the persistence is just seeing these guys' lives change and seeing them grow up and be the men and accountable men that God is calling them to be. So it's a persistence. And Angel, she does this ministry with a lot of women and young girls, so she's gonna tell you this story about what persistence is. But the, the scripture is simply this, love never fails. Remember that, if you're doing it in love, it never fails.
2: So when we look at, at, at persistence and, and, and moving forward, Um, A lot of times, the things that we do, um, they look like thankless situations, and that's not why we do it. That's not our purpose, to be thanked or, or, and and I've used the the word help before. I don't really like the word help because we're just doing what we do. Um, But being persistent in what we do you know, sometimes you 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 wonder is it is it worth it? The other day I got um, on Mondays for eight years. I would fly from Sacramento. Cal- we now live in Stockton, California. Um, I would fly from um, Sacramento, California, to Burbank, and then drive from Burbank to Ventura to the youth facility, um, and uh, I would have several facilitators with me um, who. All have done time, major time for major crimes, but they've turned their lives around. Um, and we would go into the youth facility. the The young people that we would deal with, who were detained, were between the ages of uh, 13 and 25, medium age being 16, 17 years old. Um, and some of those girls, they thought that they, you know, they were so rough and tough. Um, and I do want to mention that. Prior to them being detained, you know at thirteen years old, you wonder why somebody is detained, um, and you have to look at what happened between age one and thirteen, so they didn 't just get up one day and say that i 'm going to do whatever. Some of these young people, they have had some horrific things happen to them in life and We, as outsiders, we don't really recognize that. We just say, oh, these kids are just bad or or whatever. But they're not. Um, So, you know, some of these girls, they thought they were so so tough. But the thing about bringing uh, facilitators in that have been to prison and stuff and that were much older than them, you couldn't get anything by our facilitators. And so it 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 gave the the young women something to relate to and so but still some of the girls they would act out so bad and we were called all kinds of names and this that and the other but there was this one girl she was 13 years old uh when we met her and she she was just the worst she was the worst and she would she would the the um, correctional officers were male she told them what to do she thought she was running that prison so um, she, she got out about a year ago, and I, I didn't know what happened to her or whatever, but I got an instant message from her uh, the other day, and it just really touched my heart because she, she basically started, um, I don't know how to start this. I don't know how to say this, but I just want to thank you for um, coming in and, and helping us with your group. You all really did, even though it didn't look like it. You really changed my life. Uh, she said, the things that I, I said to you, the way I treated you um, was horrific, and I just want to apologize. And it's times like that that you, you just feel, I got to go on. I have to be persistent in what we're doing because even when so many don't come back to say thank you, there's, some, there's one somebody um, that will come back and, and, and say thank you. And I always feel like if we have touched one person in eight years um, through our ministry, then we've done our job. So we just have to be persistent in that.
1: You know, and what I would say about that too, Angel, is just that uh, she, she sort of, she doesn't really explain it. The, she, her crew did an awesome job with these young women. And the young women that are out, they still stay in touch with her, the ones that, are, that she sort of touched their lives, and they're doing some amazing work. And what happens so often is you'll never know what happens and the value of what you've done. But when I think about the girls, and she'll tell me that she heard from some girl, and I'll think, wow, she's still doing okay. And, the, and she was saying, we don't know. We, we had one girl who, whose dad was a drug addict and from the time she was a little girl he was using her to buy drugs and just all kind of crazy things her mom died because a drug overdose and so when she's 13 she's with someone they commit a murder she goes to the youth authority and she she is so damaged and broken and remember I said don't think about the crime look at the person and when you think about that young lady you could say wow Forget her. You know, who does what she did? Horrible. And when I'm working in prison, I, I tell, you know, whatever the crime you did, you're doing time for that crime and God and the judge. Everybody understands that. But this young girl started to feed off of their energy. And you start to see a different light come on. And where there was no hope, where there was just this darkness and a shallowness and a, and a vagueness and a void in her eyes. You started to see a light come on. And for me watching them do the ministry with those young girls, that was the thing that was the key for me, that I could look and I could see when God was doing some amazing work with them and her team, the stuff she did. I, w- I wish there was video of some of the stuff they did because she did some awesome things. That it, and sometimes she just, she wonder, you know, is this thing worth it? And, and I will watch her the next Monday driving back to the airport, getting ready to get on that plane to drive an hour to the prison after she landed. You know, who does that except if you have a persistence, of God is leading you there, so she's awesome.
2: You know, it, whenever, whenever I think about uh, this, this young woman, when she was getting ready to get out, um, it's rough when, when you feel like being detained is better than being at home because she would continuously self-sabotage Self and, and she would pretend like she was crazy, real smart girl she can, she'd pretend like she was crazy and all kinds of stuff um, so there was just so much going on at home so I, I'm really proud of her
1: and you know the last thing we want to say and then we're going to wrap this up is so we talked about pay, uh, purpose, a passion a persistence and the last thing we want to tell you is there needs to be a a patience with what you do. And Abaka says, there's gotta be an appointed time. The vision we give you, there's going to be a appointed time. And quickly, because we only have a couple of minutes, we wanna tell you that there is an appointed time. There's a time that what God has told you will come to fruition, and you have to trust that time. You have to trust that God has said that. Uh, you got, we wanna talk about Mike? You've got about a minute. You wanna talk about him real quick?
2: You, t- you tell about Mike.
1: Okay. See who's. See, she told me. I anyway, do it. we have this transitional home. <laughs> see, I told you guys. I won. Okay. We
2: we have this tra- We have this transitional home. We've been um, open for for about a year, and um, a couple of weeks ago we lost our funding, and we house around 16 guys that have uh, been incarcerated. Um, and have done anywhere from ten to thirty years and and so anyway, we lost our funding and so that meant all the guys were getting ready to be displaced. You can tell when somebody's really trying to do the right thing, so we have this one gentleman in there that would get up every morning and he would read his Bible um, but as he was when he was given this news you know that he had to leave, everybody had to leave. Um, you could just see this stress in his face. And um, so I went to Earl and I says, we can't let him leave, we, we, need, to, we need to keep him here. Um, because I didn't want to lose him back into the community. So um, now I'll let him finish about this gentleman. What happened, there's a real success story after that.
1: Okay, here's what happened. The guy stayed with us a couple more weeks. And in the process between the time the no funding that he was going to have to go back and live under the bridge or whatever, he got a car. He got his driver's license cleared up. And he has a job. And the fourth thing is he has a place now for the next five months that he's going to be able to live at while he works, free of charge, where he can actually, when he leaves there, he's going to be on his feet. So it was believing God and trusting with that patience that God is going to deliver at his appointed time. I'm going to ask you guys if it's okay if we pray. I want to pray for you, and maybe you're going through some things and you're wondering, God, when. Uh, We will tell you this. There is hope for the seemingly hopeless, and we want to pray for you. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you now for your grace, for your mercy, for your goodness, and we know, Father God, that there is hope. We trust and believe in all that you do and all that you are, Father God, that there's no one No one greater than you. So we ask, Lord God, that you would blow your Ruhas would come into our lives, that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct us and keep us, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen.